X3 is the first exercise device to deliver force in line with the variable capabilities of human movement. When you train like this, you go to a far greater level of fatigue, which triggers a commensurate level of growth. Go to x3bar.com and learn more about the professional athletes that use X3 exclusively, as well as many before and after transformations this discovery has caused. Enter the code LIFTSMARTER for $50 off at checkout. That's LIFTSMARTER without a space between the two words for $50 off at checkout. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Mark Holtzeppel. He's a professor of chemical engineering at Texas A&M University, and we're going to talk about uh, biofuels and desalinization. So, Mark, thank you for coming. My pleasure. Yeah. Tell me a bit about your background and what got you into the areas of research that you're working in right now. Well, uh, I'm going to start with when I was in high school. Uh, I had decided to go into the military through ROTC the very same year that we had a, uh, a an energy crisis. Uh, those mm-hmm. that are old enough will remember that they were actually rationing gasoline. Uh, you could only buy it on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday if you had an odd number in your license, and Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday with an even number, and the gas stations were closed on Sunday. And uh, I had these very, very strong visions of dying on the battlefield over oil. Uh, And so I made a personal commitment uh, that I wanted to do something about that. So I I chose chemical engineering uh, with a specialty in biochemical engineering because I I thought that that was the the right way to come up with new uh, sources of energy that uh, were uh, not environmentally damaging. Oh, interesting. Okay. And what has your research uh, become today? What are you focused on? Well, I have continued on my biomass uh, quest. Uh, so I've all, long been interested in, in people, what we would call waste materials, uh, things that people either have no value or negative value, meaning they'll pay you to take it off their hands. And so I'm intrigued with the idea of converting wastes into useful products, uh, such as industrial fuels and, and chemicals. So for the last 31 years, I've been developing a process that we call the Mixalco process that uses the uh, natural organisms that you might find in the rumen of a cow, uh, and it breaks down the biomass into organic acids such as vinegar, and then we uh, collect that vinegar and associated acids, go through some chemical transformations, and we can make it into almost anything that's currently derived from natural gas and, and, and crude oil. Uh, so almost any base chemical can be made that from our technology. Uh, we've made gasoline with uh, 92 octane. Uh, we've made uh, jet fuel that made met all the requirements of the military. Uh, so so uh, I, I see this as a, a renewable uh, future is uh, uh, turning biomass into uh, useful chemicals and fuels. Well, what, what biomass are you using? What starting materials? 
we've used uh, maybe 30 or 40 different materials over the years. Uh, our, kind of my favorite ones are municipal solid waste, the organic fraction, like food scraps, uh, waste paper, uh, yard waste, uh, and also uh, sewage sludge, uh, which um, often is spread onto land, which I think is not quite the right, the use, right use for that. Uh, we've used uh, manure, like chicken manure, uh, cattle manure, pig manure. We've used some uh, crops that uh, would be specifically grown for that purpose. Uh, recently, I've become absolutely fascinated with prickly pear as, uh, as the feedstock. Uh, those of, well, actually prickly pear grows almost everywhere in the world. Uh, in the uh, North American continent, it grows all the way from uh, Mexico up into Canada. You know, we normally think of prickly pears being kind of a, a, a warm desert crop, but it, it grows up into to Canada. Uh, and it, of course, doesn't need much water. And the uh, what prickly pear is basically, you can think of it as a bag made out of cellulose with the center filled with sugar. Uh, so when we do, it doesn't need any exact, uh, exorbitant pretreatments, uh, it's a very, very simple process. Uh, goes to very high conversions, very high product concentrations. Uh, so so uh, of crops that are grown specifically uh, for biofuels, uh, prickly pear is at the top of my list. It grows on poor quality land. It doesn't need uh, to be irrigated. It can tolerate drought uh, pretty well. Uh, so yeah, I, but I, if we do um, if we do a side by side comparison of all the inputs, you know, like so, an alternative, I guess, would be crude oil. You know, you gotta get it out of the ground, but then you have to fractionate it in all, into all its components, and you know, it has a certain amount of of energy value. Uh, these biomass inputs, like prickly pear, et cetera, or sludge. Uh, what's the process for them to turn them into gasoline or other other useful elements? Well, we we did some years ago a study. Uh, they call it energy return on energy investment. That's basically you put a unit of energy in, how much do you get out? It used to be, you know, when we first started finding oil in America, it was like 100 to 1. Uh, but now it's typically less than 10 to 1 uh, because the easy oil has been found. So now we have to do exotic things like frack, uh, which is, you know, takes a lot of energy. So, so, so normal crude oils around 10 to 1 in the U.S., uh, our biomass is around 18 to 1. Uh, I don't know what it is for prickly pear. The, the numbers we have are for um, uh, high energy sorghum. Uh, so if you put one unit of fossil energy in, you get 18 units of liquid fuel out. It's a very good uh, return on energy investment. Uh, for corn, uh, ethanol, the, the estimates vary, but it's like 1.3, 1.5, something like that. A very, very marginal gain. Uh, vegetable oils like uh, biodiesel are like three to one, uh, but you just can't make very much of it. There's just not that much oil and soybeans and so forth. Uh, so, so yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is about the energy density. So, is the energy density of like well, you don't know about the prickly pear yet, but you know sludges and uh, these other ones you mentioned. Is it pretty high in energy density, or does it require a tremendous volume, or because there's so much waste, the volume's there, no problem? Well, uh, the energy density of biomass tends to be low. If you take something like um, agricultural waste, think of corn stover, this is the cobs and leaves and stems that are left over after you've harvested the grain. Uh, imagine putting a bale of that together, uh, a, a, a typical round bale that you would see uh, in a farmer's field is, is roughly half a ton. Uh, so it takes an awful, uh, imagine two round bales, uh, you might get 
80 gallons of fuel out of that. Now the fuel is uh, is as energy dense as gasoline. I mean, it is it is gasoline. Uh, so so once you've transformed it, uh, you can make it energy dense. So that's a great advantage of the process that we've developed is that you can practice it in a distributed manner close to the biomass source. So that if, if my vision becomes reality, uh, places that have waste biomass, let's say there's a, a hog farm that has uh, lots of pig manure uh, or a municipality with sewage sludge and food scraps and yard waste and so forth, uh, at the site where you've collected the biomass, you would convert it into organic acids, vinegar, as I mentioned before. Uh, you would then consolidate those organic acids and bring it to a central facility where you upgrade it and make it into all kinds of chemicals and fuels. And, and that vision is, is very similar to what we do right now. Uh, there's, there's literally millions of stripper wells in the United States that produce you know, maybe seven or 10 barrels a day, uh, yet people run them economically. A truck comes by and picks up the crude oil and brings it to a pipeline and brings it to a factory, to the refinery. And so our organic acids have about 88% of the energy content of, um, of, of gasoline. Uh, so, so you could pick it up, uh, consolidate it, and uh, get the economies of scale that you would get in a in a conventional oil refinery, but it would be a bio refinery uh, where you're. Well, what about um, an additional semi bench type process? So, let's say I'm a farmer and you know, I have a lot of corn husks and other stuff. Instead of me bringing it to a facility, is there a more bench scale version based on your technology where I can keep it on my farm and reconstitute enough gas or enough other material that I just keep it there locally? I don't have to send it out and then buy it back. When you exercise with greater force, you trigger greater gains. Shown in 16 out of 16 studies, variable resistance grows muscle faster than weights alone. Go to x3bar.com and learn more about the professional athletes that use X3 exclusively, as well as many before and after transformations this discovery has caused. Enter the code LIFTSMARTER for $50 off at checkout. That's LIFTSMARTER without a space between the two words for $50 off at checkout. Thank you. I would say that probably would be very marginal. Uh, there's a lot of things that uh, don't scale down very well, and uh, industrial processes tend not to. Uh, you could do it technically, uh, but I think it would be uh, not profitable for the farmer uh, to go through all that effort at a small scale. Uh, so our, our strategy is the uh, fermentation of the biomass to these organic acids happens naturally. As I mentioned, it's similar to what goes on in the rumen of a cow. Uh, so a, a cow eats dirty grass. Uh, so when a cow eats dirty grass, the, the organisms naturally present in the soil establish themselves in the rumen, and they naturally make these organic acids. Uh, so, so that's pretty robust. And I could imagine that being done at uh, the farmer's field. Uh, but the, the chemical processing of those organic acids into gasoline or diesel fuel is fairly sophisticated and uh, would, would likely be beyond the skills of the average farmer. Uh, but the, the first stage of turning the biomass into the organic acids uh, is within the skill set of, of the average farmer. The process is very, very similar to uh, uh, making biogas 
uh, many, many farmers, uh, particularly dairy farmers, uh, take manure and put it into a, a pit and it makes methane gas. And they use that methane uh, to help run their, their dairy farm. Well, we use a very similar technology, uh, but we, we inhibit that last step where the methane is produced. Uh, the last step is uh, a vinegar is converted into methane gas. And so we, we put a chemical in there that, that blocks that process. It lets the vinegar accumulate uh, in the liquid, and then we recover uh, the vinegar. And, uh, uh, and then that's now in the form of a liquid can be stored in a tank, easily trucked around. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, the vision is to consolidate uh, all those organic acids such as vinegar and bring them to a central facility where they're upgraded and converted into uh, almost any chemical or fuel that we currently use from, from crude oil and natural gas. So you'd have trucks going around, it's like distributed source of feedstock. They aggregate it in the truck, they bring it to the central facility then the central facility continues the processing to make Correct. the new inputs. And, okay. and that's exactly what we do right now. Uh, trucks come by and pick up crude oil and, and bring it to market. So, so that we're, we're basically saying, keep doing that, but rather than using crude oil, which is a non-renewable resource, uh, we would use these organic acids, which are an infinitely renewable resource uh, and um, much cleaner, much less environmentally damaging. And arguably, you're cleaning up the environment if you're using, uh, let's say, pig manure or sewage sludge as your raw material, uh, then uh, you're cleaning up the environment. Uh, you, you may be aware that the farmers in uh, uh, Holland are uh, being threatened because they, they put so much manure on their land. I think I heard, I'm not sure the statistic is exactly correct, but something like three times more pigs in Holland than people. Uh, so there's a very intensive uh, uh, animal husbandry industry in, in Holland, and they have to do something with all that manure. So they spread it on the, on the land. Uh, the, the, the land is over fertilized. It's got way, way more uh, nitrogen and nutrients on it than it needs. And so those nutrients are emitted into the atmosphere and uh, contribute to global warming. So the Holland is, is telling their farmers that you have to, to change your ways or we're gonna take away your farms or there's threats and all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, so, so from my perspective, it's like, oh my gosh, all that manure is very valuable. We'll, we'll use it and convert it into uh, valuable fuels and chemicals. Don't spread it on the land and, and, and damage the soil. And so our, our technology, uh, has many, many uh, useful attributes. The, the fuels that we make, although they're gasoline and jet fuel and so forth, are carbon neutral. Uh, they came, the carbon came from the atmosphere, so we're not putting new carbon into the atmosphere. Uh, they're completely compatible with our current uh, infrastructure. Uh, and as I said, they can be made from things that we would call wastes. Uh, so rather than throwing things away and digging a hole in the ground or spreading things on the land, you use it and use it for a productive uh, end. Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and uh, we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. 
We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD, and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the uh, you know the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up. And check in the description for Buy Me a Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going. And I love coffee. Thank you. Well, you still need energy inputs to process it. You, you mentioned a, a, a value of 18 to 1 instead of 10 to 1, let's say, with traditional fossil fuels. So it's just, it's a lot more efficient, it sounds like, you know, maybe almost double, but uh, it still requires energy inputs in order to run. Yes and no. So, so that uh, analysis we did assumed that the, the trucks that were used on the farms and hauling biomass were fueled by petroleum diesel. Uh, and that the fertilizer was made from natural gas. Uh, but that doesn't have to be the case. The, the trucks can be powered by the biofuels. Uh, so in that case, then you don't have a fossil fuel input. And it is possible to make uh, fertilizer from, from biomass. Uh, there's actually a professor in Oklahoma that has conceived of doing that. And, and it, to me, looks like a very practical process so uh, yeah that's great so so if you, you know if, if you did not have fossil fuels at all uh we still in my belief can, can enjoy the wonderful quality of life that we have now uh based on biomass and other renewable resources uh, we just have to retool our economy to to go in that direction which is not a trivial statement but uh we, we can do it i uh, we have the technology exists i'm convinced uh, we just have to have the commitment to do it. So what, what kind of products do you make? You mentioned uh, gasoline and jet fuel. What are the typical products you'll get? And which ones are more favored? Is it market-based, um, you know, energy use-wise, which are the most efficient? You know, what, what kind of things have you made? Well, the, the organic acids uh, are useful themselves. Uh, uh, there's a there's you know millions of pounds of, of vinegar acetic acid uh, used in in industry already uh, as an example uh, the the plastic uh, water bottles the PET uh, water bottles use acetic acid as a solvent in the manufacturer and some of the solvent is burned up in the process of manufacturing it so they have to constantly be replacing the acetic acid solvent so Rather than making acetic acid from natural gas, you could make it from biomass and have that be uh, renewable. Uh, and then you can uh, convert the, the organic acids into ketones, uh, solvents, so acetone, uh, methyl alpha ketone. Uh, these are common solvents. Uh, for example, if you've ever put PVC pipe together and you, you know, try to glue the pipe together, typically the, the solvent that's used has MEK, methyl ethyl ketone, and acetone in it. Uh, you can add hydrogen uh, to those uh, ketones and make uh, alcohols like isopropanol. Uh, that's commonly uh, viewed as a rubbing alcohol. Uh, so we can make that from renewable sources. Uh, now, isopropanol is a perfectly fine fuel. Uh, it, you could, uh, that's why we call it the mix-alco process. Uh, the, the, the isopropanol and the higher acids that we make are perfectly acceptable uh, as, as motor fuel. Uh, uh, so you have all these alcohols. Uh, we can also make uh, uh, normal uh, alcohols, that is linear uh, alcohols with the hydroxyl group on the end, the terminus. 
that would be ethanol and propanol and butanol. Uh, so, so we can make all those. And then you can start reacting the alcohols together with the uh, organic acids to make esters. Uh, so esters are, are also commonly used uh, solvents. Uh, uh, so so uh, here, here's a simple thing to think about uh, from a chemical engineering perspective. If you take an alcohol and you remove the water from it, you get a double bond. So for example, if you start with uh, ethanol and you remove the water, you get ethylene. Well, ethylene is the foundational chemical for almost all of the petrochemical industry that has two carbons. If you start from isopropanol and you remove uh, a water, you get uh, propylene. Propylene is the foundational chemical for chemicals that have three carbons. If you start from butanol and remove the water, you get uh, butylene. Well, that's the foundational chemical for chemicals that have four carbons. Uh, so so all, all that chemical infrastructure that's based on cracking uh, natural gas uh, uh, to make ethylene, propylene, and butylene, uh, we can replace all of that with biosourced um, uh, inputs uh, based on crack, uh, dehydrating uh, alcohols. Uh, so, so what, if, um, what, what if you coupled uh, some of the inputs you're getting from you know, sludge and all that, uh, whether refinery, would that help them at all and make their process more efficient? You know, would it act as certain types of feedstocks that would help them process crude that they're running? I, I do believe that this uh, biorefinery that I've been talking about uh, would be ideally situated at a, an existing oil refinery. Uh, there's a lot of facilities that exist at an oil refinery that we would need anyway. Uh, distillation, for example, uh, fuel storage, you know, the big storage tanks, pipelines that distribute uh, products to market. Uh, so all of that exists uh, in existing oil refineries. Having said that, uh, you know, there are some uh, differences in, in the processing steps. So uh, my, my personal view is that we will be using crude oil for many, many decades. Uh, I think it's going to be a slow process to wean ourselves from crude oil and as, as we shift over to these uh, renewables, uh, uh, it, it'll take a long time and, and eventually I think they'll just kind of repurpose uh, uh, conventional oil refineries and shift them over to uh, biorefineries. Uh, that's, that's my, I guess, my dream for where we can go. Uh, but, you know, time will tell whether that actually happens or not. Right, but I understand the infrastructure of a, of a refinery would be very useful. But what about the actual fractionation of crude itself? Could that process, could some of the inputs to it be replaced with biomass? And could refining, you know, crude, again, be made more efficient or better? That's a so very, that, you know, very insightful it. question. Uh, I think it's possible. Uh, uh, you know, there's, there's pretty sophisticated chemistry that goes on a refinery, in a refinery, and uh, it's conceivable that uh, some of the, the biomass components could kind of slip in there and uh, replace uh, conventional crude. I, I ha frankly haven't given it a whole lot of thought, so uh, I can't be very detailed in it. But I mean, they're all everything we're talking about is carbon-based. There's uh, this this when you have these double bonds and you you grow molecules, that's a process called oligomerization. They do that in oil refineries. You can do oligomerization in oil refineries. So. So we could conceivably uh, do a ligamerization of biomass components and crude oil components. 
uh, I think all of that's possible. Yeah. I, I just I, think, you know, from what I hear out there, it's like, oh, coal, oil, bad, renewable, good. And, you know, if you just divide it, good and bad, who's going to sit there and think, hmm, how can we make coal use more efficient or crude more efficient? Why not do that if we're going to be using it for decades to come, even if we want to wean off of it? Just as good, bad division, I think, is a big mistake because technologies like yours, they can make existing ones maybe a lot better. Maybe they won't be a need to do this, or maybe they'll stretch reserves from 30 years until we're in trouble to 50 years or 70 years. Maybe it reduces emissions from coal or crude or some of the externalities enough that you know we're in a better place regardless. Well, I mean, fundamentally, if you take a fossil fuel, which is carbon that used to be under the ground, and you bring it to the surface and you burn it, you're, you're putting fossilized carbon into the atmosphere, and that's the driver of, of global warming. So, so fundamentally, if you're doing that and not capturing that CO2, uh, then you're contributing to global warming, and, and that's not sustainable. Uh, if you uh, coal uh, is normally burned in a stationary setting, and and people have technologies. I'm personally developing a new one uh, to capture CO2 out of the flue gas. And so, uh, and, and you know, we have hundreds of years of coal in this country, and as long as we uh, capture the CO2. From as far as I'm concerned, we can keep using it. Uh, it's it's not evil in the sense of, you know, no matter what, it's evil. It, it's it's problematical in that the fact that the CO2 accumulates in the atmosphere. If you can stop doing that, then it's not so problematical. Uh, now there may be some issues associated with mining, uh, you know, uh, releasing uh, acids from mining and so forth. So you just have to have uh, good mining practices. Uh, so that you you don't do that, but if if you assuming you do good mining practices and you capture the CO two from from the combustion, there's nothing wrong with using coal. Uh, just as an aside, the the process that we're developing uh, goes through a cryogenic process to to remove the CO two. So not only does it remove well over ninety percent of the CO two but it can remove almost 100% of the SO2 and, and nitrogen oxides and, and, and also the mercury. So, so if you do that, then there's just a little bit of CO2 that comes out of the tailpipe, uh, which we can deal with by planting more trees or doing other things. Uh, uh, but you can, you can make coal virtually innocuous. And, and coal is cheap. I mean, my gosh, it's uh, at the mine mouth, when, when they scoop up a, a bucket of coal, it's basically a bucket of dirt. And it, it's, it, the price is basically the same as dirt. Uh, so coal is just really, really cheap. Uh, what makes it somewhat expensive is, is when they transport it long distances. But if you use the coal close to, to the mine, it's, it's amazingly inexpensive. It's just really, really cheap. And if we can... Uh, reduce the CO2 emissions and the emissions of NOx and SOx, uh, then, and the mercury, it, it's like, there's nothing wrong with it. We, we should, we should use well, it. I'm glad you're, you're open to that. That's good. Yeah. Because again, all I've heard is hysteria, you know, oh, bad, 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 but why not make it more efficient? I mean, you know, yeah, again, well, same not... with, uh, with renewables. If people are doing research such as you on these renewables, why not do research on what, what's out there too, instead of just saying, no, forget it, we gotta get rid of it. Exactly. So I'm well, with the, you. The, ch the challenge with 
using crude oil for automobile transportation is that that carbon is very difficult to capture. Uh, so so uh, when when crude oil, if crude oil is used in a stationary uh, source uh, place, then you can capture that CO two, and it too can be innocuous. But if you're uh, turning crude oil into gasoline and jet fuel, and then uh, burning uh, that fuel and releasing that CO two into the environment, that is uh, contributing uh, uh, to to global warming. And 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 we do have to do something about global warming. It's a it's a serious problem. I I, I feel like we're not doing uh, enough, fast enough to to address the problem. Uh, I I understand there's kind of a lot of hysteria out there, uh, but I I I believe it is a serious problem. And by applying uh, proper chemical engineering principles and economic principles, we can solve that problem. It, it we 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 can we can enjoy the quality of life that we have now. Uh, uh, without having global warming. I, I'm absolutely convinced of that. I, there's, That's we, great. Do, we do things in a very inefficient way right now. So if we improve our efficiency and change our energy practices, uh, I, we don't have to give up anything and, and still we can address global warming. No, that's excellent. We're glad you, you, uh, you, know, you have that view from, from your standpoint. That's great. Um, so with this biomass use, what, where are you at with it? Are you way beyond, you know, benchtop? Is it being scaled up anywhere, or you know, what's needed in order for you to, you know, get a a plant going of any size and really get this scaled up? Well, uh, we we have a commercialization partner uh, called uh, Bio Veritas. Uh, they're uh, the CEO of that company, or the, excuse me, the chief technology officer of that company was my graduate student. Name is Cesar Granda. Uh, they're right now uh, designing a commercial plant. Uh, uh, it's not clear exactly where it will be erected, but they have a number of sites that they're considering. Uh, so it, it, they, they've been running a pilot plant uh, for some years, uh, and now they're ready to scale up uh, to commercial scale. Uh, it, it'll be first. It'll be uh, high-value chemical applications. Uh, in order to do fuels, you have to operate a very, very large scale. And so, so one of the um, rules of commercialization is you, you try to operate as the smallest scale possible and still make a profit. Uh, so so the, the beauty of the mixalco process that, that I've been developing for so long is that there, there are very large number of chemicals that you can make, some of which are very valuable. And so you can be profitable at a small scale. Uh, so, so there's a there's a way to get to fuels uh, by uh, commercializing the technology by selling product. Uh, other approaches to biomass utilization uh, require enormous investments on the order of a billion dollars before you you can be commercially viable, and most uh, funding sources just aren't willing to invest that amount of money, uh, risk that amount of money on an unproven process. But our our process. Can be proven at, with much smaller scale with much smaller amounts of money uh, and so we can we can scale up uh, by actually selling product and making a profit and, and that so that way we're kind of growing organically and, and that's the right way to build a business if, if you if you can so what, what's your guess again on uh, you know you have the commercialization side I'm, i guess you don't work in it but are you 
do you feel like this is close? This is on the path, or is it going to be many years before? Well, no, no, they're they're, they're designing the plant right now. The intention wow. is to break ground next year. Uh, so, so it, it's, it, I think it's still uncertain uh, what state it'll be located in, how big it'll be. I think they're still working through some of those things, but uh, it, the intention is to uh, start building, uh, you know, breaking ground uh, next year. The design process is underway. Uh, so, so uh, they're supposed to break ground next year. Hmm. Okay. Well, very good. So it's possible what, it's possible what in maybe two, three years that we'll have an operational commercial plant that's doing this. I think that's fair. The, uh, the they have a they built this years ago. They built a very large uh, demonstration plant, and it was built in under a year, starting from bare ground to functioning facility was uh, less than a year. W one of the beauties of our technology is that it's it many aspects of it are very simple. Uh, so, so it doesn't require uh, expensive stainless steel vessels and sterile operating conditions and so forth, which is what many uh, biomass conversion processes use. So some of them use thermal processing with very you know, high temperatures, which requires exotic materials. In our case, we're use, uh, we can use plastic line pits, uh, uh, conventional pumps, uh, PVC piping, things that are available commonly. Uh, uh, we don't need, uh, you know, super insulation and exotic alloys that can tolerate high temperatures and refractory and all that kind of stuff. It's 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 just plastic tanks and plastic pipe and simple pumps, things that you can buy out of a Granger catalog, for example. Uh, it's very 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 robust and low tech in some ways, which uh, I, you know people often think of high tech as, oh, you want to be high tech. No, you don't. In the case of fuels, you want to be low tech. You want it to be simple. You, know, you want it to be fail safe. Uh, one of my favorite stories is that when they were running uh, a large fermenter, 90 feet tall and about 10 feet in diameter, uh, one of the pH probes broke and the, the pH shot way up. It's supposed to be neutral. I don't know how far it went, but like 10 or 10 and a half or something. And they said, oh my gosh, you know, that killed everything. We're going to have to start all over, drain the tank and re-inoculate and so forth. And while they were preparing for that, uh, the uh, pH self-corrected. The microorganisms, uh, they, made, they make acids. And even though the pH was way higher than it was supposed to be, some of them were still surviving and some of them were still making acids. And after a week or two, um, it self-corrected and they were off to the, through the races again. I mean... How beautiful is that, right? How, how wonderful is that, that a process can be abused that badly? Uh, I mean, one pH unit is a factor of 10, right, in concentration. So, so the concentration of hydroxyl ions was 100 times or more than what it was supposed to be. Yet the, uh, it self-corrected and, and readjusted itself and continued on. My own pilot plant I have on campus, we had a dead bird fall into the tank. <laughs> it was fine. It just kept, it kept on going. So it, this, this very robust technology, very, what's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Yeah, no, that's excellent. Where, where's the best place, place for people to find out more about your work? And maybe, I don't know if you have any uh, diagrams or images of the process or, you know, just more information. How can they find out more about you and your work? Well, uh, they can write 
write to me. I'll send them some papers, I guess. Uh, and you can just do a Google search on the name Holtzapple and Mixalco, M-I-X-A-L-C-O. Uh, you'll, you'll find journal articles out there. So uh, there's, there's a lot out there. You just have to use the right keywords uh, to find it. Okay. Well, very good. Mark, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Remember, before you go, X3 is the device that will give you the body you want, one that your partner and your kids will admire you like you're a superhero. Go to x3bar.com and learn more about the professional athletes that use X3 exclusively, as well as many before and after transformations this discovery has caused. Enter the code LIFTSMARTER for $50 off at checkout. That's LIFTSMARTER without a space between the two words for $50 off at checkout. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.